we implore you to pour out your grace. Tobit today. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to commit. Pastor Nelson Pastor Nelson's going to teach on Bell and the Dragon next week. So, that's, yeah, I know. You thought there was a dinosaur in that picture. This is, there are actually dinosaurs in the next story. So, any questions about... Uh, here's what I think we should do, maybe just to catch up, because it's been a little bit. Let's, let's, uh, I was trying to think of a good way to do this. If I make, if I write up here maybe, maybe uh, seven points. To cover um, the story so far. Okay, so this is going to be challenging, but we'll give it a shot anyways. Um, first of all, so, so we're going to think of seven points to sort of summarize the story so far. What's the first point going to be? I, and I'm thinking in terms of plot here. Go ahead, Marilyn. Tobit um, was a generous Jew. Okay. Who buried the dead. He not only gave tithes, but gave all of his Okay. That was fantastic. Okay. Bury the dead. Tithes. You've been taking notes. Alms. Perfect. Good. Now I think that just, so to make this uh, to make sure we don't run out of numbers, what would number seven be? Where we where we concluded last week? Or, I mean two weeks ago. Okay. Yes. Okay. So Tobit Tobias, thank you. I don't know. I'm going to send them back if they don't. Tobias, Tobit's son, marries Sarah. And now that's, that's much more complicated than it sounds, right? And he didn't die. He didn't die. Okay. Um, yeah. That died. So, Tobias marries Sarah. And all of that is packed in there. Anybody who wasn't here two weeks ago? Okay. So, to- Tobias... Tobit's son, let's just, let's just rehearse this a little bit. Tobias, Tobit's son, goes to retrieve the money that his father has stowed with a friend, in, in, uh, with the friend Gabael. And the angel Raphael goes with him. And on the way, do you remember what he catches? Let's make this number four. A big fish. A, yeah. How big? It was trying to eat him. Okay, so Tobias. So there's Tobias and the fish. And why is the fish important? Yeah, he takes the parts out of it, right? So we got liver, gall, and the heart. These two go together: the heart and the liver. Okay. And so, and Raphael says, "Hey, put it in your bag." And so Tobias says, "Okay." And then later, Tobias says, why did I do that? Like, much later. And Raphael says, well, the liver and the heart are good for scaring away demons, and the gall is good for curing blindness. Uh, so when Tobias marries Sarah, she's been tormented by the demon Asmodeus, who has killed her last seven husbands. Um, and Tobias then would be the eighth husband, and he's committed to marrying her. Why is he committed to marrying her? He's a kinsman redeemer. So not so. So 
he receives, I mean, he has, he has it coming from all different directions, right? So he's a kinsman redeemer by law. He's the only one left to marry her. What, did his, what, what was the instruction his father gave him regarding marriage? Marry somebody from our tribe. And what did Raphael say? Marry her, right? Uh, so he's, everybody's telling him to do it. And he, if, if Tobias is anything, he is an obedient fellow, right? And noble, yeah. Um, to, me, he, to me, Tobias is, uh, is the Isaac of the Abraham and Isaac story. When, the, when Abraham sacrifices Isaac. I, it, it just stands out so, so strongly to me. Is that how you spell obedient? Is it an A or an E? E, I thought so. Okay. Um, and the, to, to punctuate the story of Tobias's marriage, they, ha- they get married, right? And Sarah's father digs a grave, right? Because the seven previous husbands have died. And so this guy's going to die as well. And then he sends a maid to go check. And the maid comes back and says he's still alive. He rejoices, says a prayer, and what does he do? Fills in the grave, right? So that's all, that's all encompassed in this story of Tobias, Mary, and Sarah. And Tobias follows the instructions again. Go ahead, Marilyn. But prior to that, with them being alive, they had offered a prayer. They had burned the, the heart and the liver. Yeah. And uh, that's why the demon went away. Yeah, so let's do this. Uh, Tobias doesn't die here, and they scare away the demon here. Okay, so they, on the incense, on the, the alt, on the fire of incense, they burn the, the liver and the heart, and the demon flees to Egypt, and Asmodeus binds the demon. Remember that great picture of Asmodeus uh, wrestling with the demon? Okay, good. Now, um, what are the other parts of the story? Anything else we've missed here? How about in this, in this, early on in the story? Yep. Then he goes blind, right? So, um, how can we say this? Tobit suffers. Okay. Yeah. Tobit suffers. Um, and what is the. Char- this is really important. What's the character of his suffering? Does he deserve what he's getting? For righteousness, right? Okay. Now, um, okay, so if, 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 uh, what happens between Tobit's suffering and, and Tobias in his journey? Yeah, right? He's not, a, he, he, not the best part of Tobit is coming out right now. Um, and and he, things are so bad for him that he prays, and what does he pray for? Yeah. Now, um, so, so Tobit's, Tobit's prayer is sort of at the key here. Tobit, I would say Tobit's prayer... And then, and, and, and Sarah's prayer, um, yep, Tobit and Sarah's prayer, because Sarah's prayer is a lot like Tobit's prayer, right? What is the common theme between Tobit's prayer and Sarah's prayer, between Tobit's suffering and Sarah's suffering? Is it such a big deal that, does Tobit complain about being blind? Or does Sarah complain about having lost seven husbands? It's the reproach, Right? So this is the thing, the false reproach. Now, I, we're going to get through the story today, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask about this because I, I found, as I've spent the time on this story, I found this to be eminently helpful um, in understanding 
um, uh, human nature, for one thing. So I had a conversation with a fellow um, who was um, who was upset that uh, that the good deeds he was doing weren't appreciated, and I thought, "You're Tobit, <laughs> right?" And uh, and 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 that, that put that sort of casts a different light on it. So if if you're Tobit, your good deeds aren't being appreciated. In fact, you're suffering for them. What should you do? Well, you probably shouldn't pray for death, but what is, what is the great example Tobit gives when he speaks to his son Tobias? He exhorts Tobias to do good deeds and he would be rewarded, right? So he says, he says faithfulness, faithfulness is his own reward and even though I'm suffering, carry on, right? So, so I was, that, that made me think, you know, there are probably all kinds of ways um, that we suffer false reproach. Yeah, can you think of any examples in any examples where this comes up in your lives? Okay, but now let's good. Okay, so suppose you have a terminal disease. But that's not What's where? Where might where might reproach come into that? Situation. You're not praying hard, right? The prosperity gospel. You're not blessed because you're not faithful enough. That's why you're sick. You're Job's friends, right? Falsely reproach him. Good. What, what, any other examples? Yes. I thank you. <laughs> Don't you know all of the things that I've done for you? I mean, if man, don't you know? And and uh, and now this is so interesting because then, um, what is what is the Tobit's advice to us here? I mean, what do we, what do we do in the face of that? We don't. We're, it's delightful to be indignant, right? It, in fact, in fact, there is something really satisfying about suffering false reproach because never are you more justified in being angry, right? If somebody accuses you falsely, so Sarah's accused falsely of strangling her seven husbands, never is she more justified in being angry and letting them have it, right? Beating them, right? Um, and when your, kids, when your kids tell you they hate you, having forgotten all of the things that you did for them, um, never would you be more justified in, in, in sort of in terms of... Uh, uh, sort of a re- re- retribution. Never would you be more justified in punishing your children or, or, or laying waste to them. I mean, really, just letting them have it, right? Um, and so, and so this, think, about, think about how this works. How fa- false reproach has this two-sided aspect to it then. So on the one hand, it's shameful, right? It hurts our pride. Um, and not just, and not just um, an unrighteous pride, but it hurts... It, 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 if we're measuring ourselves based on um, the way the world perceives our relationship to God and, and our blessing and our fortune, um, then it hurts. But also, it entices us to sin, right? When we suffer false reproach, we're tempted to sin. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a really relevant thing. Um, Christians are, Christians are you know, more and more going to be faced with this, right? So um, just generally speaking, we're intolerant. Right, we hate all kinds of people. But also, the way things are going to us now, and I like politically, socially, there's so much 
Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and, and it is frequently false reproach, right? It's not, it's, uh, it is, I mean, this is true just generally. Uh, on irrational bias, people have, make assumptions, presuppositions. Um, and here, so just, just bear in mind, this is the one takeaway. Um, you endure this quite a bit, and I think that, I think that um, in, in all kinds of dimensions of your life, and I think that um, as with other sins that you indulge, other vices that you indulge, this is perhaps more subtle. Indulging the, the, the vice of righteous indignation is, is more subtle than many others and harder to combat. So what do you do if you find yourself um, enjoying being upset about something? You repent, right? And then perhaps you pray for the person who is reproaching you falsely, right? Um, and you thank God that he esteems you according to Christ, not, a, not according to your own merit, right? Um, that's something to be something to be cognizant of, right? Because this is just, it's a that can that's a spiral that leads down and down and down. Okay, any questions? Is there anything we should say right here for number five? Not really, huh? Okay. The dog. Marilyn, you, do you know what the dog is about? You, you seem, you, you've got the answers. I know. Well, hang on, because the dog is going to come back. we got to find out what's up with that. Okay. So now we are on Tobit, the eighth chapter. We just finished verse 18, which I think is one of the best verses. He ordered his servants to fill the grave. That is just beautiful. I'm, I might preach on this sometime. You guys have... I can't, well, we wouldn't read it as a text in church, but I might just tell the story of Tobit as a sermon. Okay, verse 19. After this, his father-in-law, Tobias' father-in-law, gave a wedding feast for them that lasted 14 days. And before the days of the feast were over, Raguel declared by oath to Tobias that he should not leave until the 14 days of the wedding feast were ended, that then he should take half of Raguel's property and return in safety to his father, and that the rest would be his when my wife and I die. Then Tobias called Raphael and said to him, Brother Azarias, take a servant and two camels and go with you, with you and go to Gabael at Ragus and Media and get the money for me and bring him to the wedding feast. For Raguel has sworn that I should not leave, but my father is counting the days, and if I delay long, he will be greatly distressed. So Raphael made the journey and stayed overnight with Gabael. He gave him the receipt, and Gabael brought out the money bags with their seals intact and gave them to him. In the morning, they both got up early and came to the wedding feast, and Gabael blessed Tobias and his wife. Now, uh, do these, does this uh, ring of any Old Testament stories that you know? Maybe in contrast to any Old Testament stories you know. Uh, the, the couple of things that happened. So, uh, the wedding feast, and then he's going to receive half of his parents' inheritance, and, and then he sends... Raphael to go pick up the money. Anything? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of opposite Jacob, right? Remember, um, he and Laban are fighting about property all the time. He's not given the daughter that, that, he, that he would marry. Um, and he has to steal from, he, he finally steals from Laban, his uncle, um, and flees and runs away, doesn't, doesn't obey his uncle's, uh, his uncle's command. And then I think, it's, I think it's really interesting or poignant to note that 
chapter 9, this short little chapter, right, tells us that if finally Raphael is the one who goes and gets the money. So as though it, it, this wasn't at all the reason Tobias was on his journey, right? It didn't even matter if he went all the way. Um, what mattered was that he landed here in Ekbatana and married, saved Sarah and married her. Okay? Any questions? They don't know that yet. They might find out. Chapter 10. Now, his father Tobit was counting each day, and when the days for the journey had expired and they did not arrive, he said, Is it possible they have been disappointed? That Gabael has died and there is no one to give him the money. And he was greatly distressed. Pay careful attention here now. And his wife said to him, The lad has perished. His long delay proves it. Then she began to mourn for him and said, Am I not distressed, my child, that I let you go, you who are the light of my eyes? But Tobit said to her, Be still and stop worrying, he is well. And she answered him, Be still and stop deceiving me, my child has perished. And she went out every day to the road by which they had left. She ate nothing in the daytime, and throughout the nights she never stopped mourning for her son Tobias until the fourteen days of the wedding feast had expired, that Raguel had sworn that he should spend there. So here, I think, so first of all, if it was a dialogue, it'd be really funny to hear, be still and stop worrying, and then she snaps back, be still and stop deceiving me, right? Um, notice how, they, how they, they parallel Abraham and Sarah. So the writer of the Hebrews says, points out that with Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham believed that even from the dead, God would raise up for him his son. Tobias, Tobit is distressed, right? But what does he express to his wife, Anna? He's fine. And it's not necessarily, I think we'd be mistaken to assume that he's just putting on a front, you know, trying to be encouraging in the face of her despair. He's demonstrated that he has his eyes on something much further, right? And he, like Abraham, believes that his son is, will in fact be well, even if he has perished, right? Um, Meanwhile, Anna is a lot like Sarah, who, when um, faced with the prospect of not having a son, what does she do? Gives Hagar to, she, tries to, tries to, she, she throws up her hands and, and, give, and tries to make, take, take care of things on her own, right? Oh, yeah? Is that right? <laughs> well, it, it, and it, so it's a, it's a different Hagar, but still, it's a, <laughs> it's a good reminder the, 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 we forget about how important that character is in the story of Abraham and Sarah because Hagar um, is, is sort of the representative of, of Sarah and Abraham's unfaith, unbelief, right? Which, which turns to, um, in Abraham's case, this, this really strong faith. Any questions? Let's keep going. At that time... Tobias said to Raguel, send me back, for my father and mother have given up hope of ever seeing me again. But his father-in-law said to him, stay with me, and I will send messengers to your father, and they will inform him how things are with you. Tobias replied, no, send me back to my father. So Raguel arose and gave him his wife, Sarah, and half his property and slaves, cattle, and money. And when he had blessed them, he sent them away, saying, the God of heaven will prosper you, my children, before I die. He said also to his daughter, Honor your father-in-law and your mother-in-law. They are now your parents. Let me hear a good report of you. And he kissed her. And Edna said to Tobias, The Lord of heaven bring you back safely, dear brother, and grant me to see your children by my, dear, by, by my daughter Sarah, that I may rejoice before the Lord. 
See, I am entrusting my daughter to you. Do nothing to grieve her. After this, Tobias went on his way, praising God because he had made his journey, he, God, had made his journey a success. And he blessed Raguel and his wife, Edna. So, chapter 11. Any questions? Okay, we got to keep going. So he continued on his way until they came near to Nineveh. Then Raphael said to Tobias, Are you not aware, brother, of how you left your father? And how had he left his father? Do you remember? What, what was the condition of his father when he left him? Just, I mean, blind, blind and what else? Poor, Poor right? When uh, Tobit sent away Tobias, he said, Don't worry about the fact that we have nothing. Um, you're going to go and get this inheritance. Um, so Raphael says, Remember how you left your father. Let us run ahead of your wife and prepare the house and take the gall of the fish with you. So they went their way, and the dog went along behind them. So I, I, what do you think about that? Obedience? Yeah. Yeah. Just not my dog. Um, yeah. Well, and so now let's think about just just real quickly. Uh, so I don't have a good answer for this, but maybe you can we can collaboratively come up with this. When did the dog show up before? Was it before the fish or after the fish? Yeah. So after Tobit sends Tobias away, he says, go with this, says to Raphael, go with this man. So they both went out and departed, and the young man's dog was with them. And now they're about to come back. So they went their way, and the dog went along behind them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I think that there's, uh, it's a good case to be made for when... So um, Tobit says to Tobias and Raphael, the Lord will send his angel to be with you, right? And so this faithfulness, obedience, a traveling companion, protection, um, I think the dog at least, at least represents that. If not, I mean, so Raphael is active in all of these ways, right? Active in, all of, in sort of forming what's happening, and the dog is sort of passive, um, absolutely passive. All the dog does is follow, follow them around. Um, hey, there you go. That's good. Who knows what the dog was doing back there? Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know a lot about a lot about that. In the New Testament, we hear so um, dogs are not exactly pets. They're not they well they eat the crumbs. They kind of they kind of roam around. They're scavengers, but the, uh, maybe no. That's a later thing for for dogs to do. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. What was Odysseus's faithful pet? Anybody know? It's a good dog. Okay. Yeah, it could be. So it could be. Um, yeah, absolutely. It might. It might just be 
placing it in this in this broader context of epic adventure stories, right? It certainly is that kind of a thing. Okay. Now, Anna sat, verse 5, Anna sat looking intently down the road for her son, and she caught sight of him coming and said to his father, Behold, your son is coming, and so is the man who went with him. Raphael said, I know, Tobias, that your father will open his eyes. You, therefore, must anoint his eyes with the gall, and when they smart, he will rub them, and you will cause the white films to fall away, and he will see you. Then Anna ran to meet them and embraced her son and said to him, I have seen you, my child. Now I am ready to die. And they both wept. Tobit started toward the door and stumbled. But his son ran to him and took hold of his father, and he sprinkled the gall upon his father's eyes, saying, Be of good cheer, father. And when his eyes began to smart, he rubbed them, and the white films scaled off from the corners of his eyes. And then he saw his son and embraced him, and he wept and said, Blessed are you, O God, and blessed is your name forever, and blessed are all your holy angels, for you have afflicted, Now that word afflicted I would translate chastised, disciplined, for you have afflicted me, but you have had mercy upon me. Here I see my son Tobias. And his son went in rejoicing, and he reported to his father the great things that had happened to him in media. Okay, what do you think? Anything stand out to you there? Yeah, the, 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 the apostle, formerly known as Saul, right? Um, yeah, he has... So I don't, know, I don't know what the connection is there. I wish I, I, wish I could figure that out. Yeah, same thing happened, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is backwards, right? Because Anna's waiting. But she just sits. She just sits. No, she's hopeless, right? She doesn't go and meet her son. Yeah, yeah. Um, so take a look at the this picture. This. So I think this is Rembrandt, a Rembrandt drawing. Although it looks like another piece that also had the title, the name Rembrandt, attached to it. And so I'm not sure which one was actually Rembrandt. But in any case, it's it's nice. Um, you see Tobit um, tripping over things, the dog in particular, some dog that is, missing the door entirely, right? Um, and so, so, I mean, at that point in the story, um, his son has returned, but what's the, what's the sort of the sadness that he still faces? He can't see. He's, he's not yet free of his, the false report, reproach, right? Then notice, how is, so how is he healed of his blindness? How does it happen? Okay, so how does the gall work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's so many, there are so many New Testament things in here. Um, for instance, when he, says, when he says, be of good cheer, Father, that sounds so much like what Jesus says to the widow of Nain, when her son is being carried in the coffin, and he says, be, be a good cheer. Cheer up. And, and, then, and then he makes it happen. Holly. Um, just before that, he says, he ruined his eyes. I don't know if that's... Oh, really? I didn't see... I, didn't, I don't have that in my text, but that's very... Baptism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in baptism, there's, there are all these things that we do, or all of these sort of ritual things that have historically been done to symbolize... Just what, what kind of a holistic cleansing it is, right? So, and especially regarding your senses, right? So you, you, need, you need new eyes, you need new ears, right? You need to smell new things. Um, and uh, 
You, you need to have your tongue fixed, right? All of these things. Hannah reminds me a little bit before that of Simeon. Yes, right. What does she say? I have seen you, my child, and now I am ready to die. Um, so, so it is, unlike Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, she's, she's very hopeless. But that doesn't... That doesn't She's waiting for her own consolation, but, but, but she's consoled, even despite the fact that she has given up hope. I mean, this is a great, this is a great um, lesson about faithfulness and um, the, the importance of our induction into God's family. So this is what baptism means, that um, whether you're Tobit or Anna, you're in, you're, you're, the, the, the consolation is coming to you, Right? Whether you have, whether you're uh, optimistic, like not 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 just optimistic, but hopeful in the way that Tobit is, or whether you're despairing, like Anna is, um, you're in the family, right? And you and consolation is walking down the road. Okay, what else? Anything else? Go back to how he's healed of his blindness, the gall. How does it work? It smarts, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and this is, I, this is, it's so interesting because, so Raphael says this is what's going to happen. You're going to put this in your dad's eyes and it's going to hurt and he's going to rub his eyes. Yeah, probably don't do that. Um, meanwhile, what's, what's, what's Tobit thinking? Tobias comes up and says, hey dad, puts the gall in his eyes and his eyes hurt, right? It's, uh, it doesn't seem like the son that he sent away has come back, right? Um, uh, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great it's a great symbol, a great um, analogy for how redemption occurs, right? How salvation comes. It's, it's, uh, it, it's painful, yeah, right, for, for, the, for the good. I mean, the, the peeling way of, I mean, when your eyes, so, so if you think about it in baptism, when your eyes are, when, your eyes are, when you're given new eyes to see things as they actually are, it's not always a joyous experience. You don't see Things, you know, in rainbow and sun, rainbows and sunshine, right? Um, it's painful to have eyes of faith at times. Okay, anything else? All right, let's keep going. Then Tobit went out to meet his daughter-in-law at the gate of Nineveh, rejoicing. Oh, sorry. Look at the next picture. Tobit getting his eyes fixed. This is, yeah, there's the dog. This is Bernardo Strozzi. I don't know what, there's not much use in saying that because I don't know anything about him. Um, there's the fish. That's a vicious looking fish. And it looks a lot like the Rembrandt. That Anna looks like Rembrandt's Anna, doesn't she? Um, and there's the angel in the background. So. Okay, you can reflect on that. I just, it's just, it's, I think it's really, uh, helpful to have these images to sort of support it. Any questions? Okay, so Tobias, Tobit's eyes are healed. Tobit goes out to meet his daughter-in-law, rejoicing and praising God. Those who saw him as he went were amazed because he could see. And Tobit gave thanks before them that God had been merciful to him. So it's not just that his reproach has been removed, but the... the um, false impression that they have of God has been rectified, right? That God is a righteous God, that God, does, that God blesses and is merciful. So Tobit gives thanks before them that God had been merciful to him. 
When Tobit came near to Sarah, his daughter-in-law, he blessed her, saying, Welcome, daughter. Blessed is God who has brought you to us, and blessed are your father and your mother. So there was rejoicing among all his kindred in Nineveh. Ahikar and his nephew Nazbas came, and, to, and Tobias's marriage was celebrated with, for seven days with great festivity. Okay, chapter 12. Um, we're just going to keep on rolling here. Tobit then called his son Tobias and said to him, My son, see to the wages of the man who went with you, and he must also be given more. He replied, Father, it would be, do me no harm to give him half of what I have brought back. For he has led me back to you safely. He cured my wife. He obtained the money for me. He also healed you. The old man said, He deserves it. So he called the angel and said to him, Take half of all that you two have brought back. Then the angel called the two of them privately and said to them, Praise God and give thanks to him. Exalt him and give thanks to him in the presence of all the living for what he has done for you. It is good to praise God and to exalt his name, worthily declaring the works of God. Do not be slow to give him thanks. It is good to guard the secret of a king, but gloriously to reveal the works of God. Do good, and evil will not overtake you. Prayer is good when accompanied by fasting, almsgiving, and righteousness. A little with righteousness is better than much with wrongdoing. It is better to give alms than to treasure up gold, for almsgiving delivers from death, and it will purge away every sin. Those who perform deeds of charity and of righteousness will have fullness of life, but those who commit sin are the enemies of their own lives. Let's pause there for a second. What do you think of that? It does sound like the Psalms, right? So it begins with this, I mean, the first half of it is praise God, praise God, praise God, give thanks to God, right? And then, what's that? Right. Yeah. So, so here's my question for you. This is, this is perhaps um, one of the main reasons why Tobit is not in the canon. Because according, so the way it's described by the, by, um, or not in, not in the Protestant version of the Bible, the Lutheran theologians um, said it contains things which don't correspond to the analogy of Scripture. So you, so the, so you, measure, you measure truth by what? By whether or not it, it esteems, holds high Jesus and his sacrifice. So what's the risk here? Works righteous, right? Yeah, almsgiving purges away sin. What do you need Jesus for if almsgiving can do it? Now, so here's my question for you. Think about it in terms of, think about that passage in terms of the book of Tobit. Has the book of Tobit, I don't, I'm I'm just, I'm not leading to anything here. I'm just interested in your impressions. Has the book of Tobit given you any sense to this point that doing good works will save you? Did you, you nodded your head a bit, Julie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and now that's that's one of the things that's often tough about even biblical stories, right? Because there are lots of biblical stories like Lazarus, the, the widow's son, um, uh, Abraham and Isaac, where it ends with. This te- the temporal consequences of sin being sort of delayed, right? So suffering's put off for a while, and it's taken as a sign of God's mercy. Um, and maybe even as, uh, as reward for righteousness, right? 
Is that, does that fit with the character of what we, what we hear in the Bible? Are people rewarded for their righteousness? Sometimes. Yeah. There is. Right. Yeah. Um, did, that, did his horrible suffering make him any more worthy of his reward? Right. What does Tobit say? Remember? He says, uh, when he goes out in the streets and people see that he, they are amazed, um, he says, where is it? Of, of uh, 11? 12. 12. 12. Oh, that's, Raphael says it there. Um, wait, where is it? 14. Well, that's important too. Okay, so we'll do this, two things. So 11.14, when he's healed, Tobit says, Blessed are you, O God, and blessed is your name forever, and blessed are your, all your holy angels for two reasons. You have afflicted me, chastised me, and have had mercy on me. Right? So God's the actor in both of those things, in his suffering and in his healing. And when the people are amazed... Right, verse 17, Tobias gave thanks before them that God had been merciful to him. He didn't, notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, thank God I did all of those righteous deeds before, now it's finally paying off. Right? I think that that's really striking, that's really important. Um, he could have said that. Um, but what do the saints say when Jesus greets them in the coming, in his second coming, and he says, um, you've lo- you you've fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was in prison. What did they say? Where were you? Yeah, when did we see you and do that? We don't know what you're talking about. Um, and, uh, and that's Jesus' Jesus's admonition. When, when, you, um, when you enter the kingdom, what do, what do you say? Um, we, are just, we, are hum- we are humble servants who have done what, what was asked of us. It's, you know? um, and I, so, so my suggestion would be that to this point, um, Tobit is all about mercy. It's all about God's mercy. So Tobit claims no credit for what's going on. Um, and, and notice what his faith clings to. He is not clinging to the fact that he's going to regain his sight or even that Tobias is going to return to him. Right? His faith is clinging to God's, to God's promise. Right? Now that promise prompts him to perform deeds of righteousness, to, to give alms, to bury the dead, um, because God has said, those are good things for you to do, right? And God, in fact, says, blessed are you if you do these things, right? There's your reward, God's blessing. You don't, now, there's the problem with God's blessing, of course, not a problem. The, trouble, the difficulty with God's blessing, of course, is that it doesn't always look like this outcome, the one that we want, right? Where, where you regain your sight and you receive back your son alive. So then, so, so that's, that's my take on it. But I, um, this, is, this is still open for discussion. So take a, this, and, and it doesn't get any more pointed than right here. For verse 9 of chapter 12, For almsgiving delivers from death, and it will purge away every sin. This from Raphael. Raphael says this. Um, so is there any way that we can understand that without? That's verse 9. Of chapter 12. Is there any way we can understand that without undermining the work of Christ? 
I thought it was because they are following what the Lord wants them to do when they give alms. So they are living the life He gave them to live. Yeah. So you. So maybe you could say it this way. You. Yeah, you take, you take a step backwards and then a step forward. So you say, I'm giving alms because I'm a, my faith leads me to obey and my faith, through faith, I'm saved. Right? Holly? Uh, Ephesians 2.10, it says God's created for you to do. After it just says you can save the grace. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. James, you are justified by your works. I mean... <laughs> And, and he doesn't mean that in the sight of God, but he means your faith is proven. Your faith, the fact that, that you are saved from sin and death, that sin has been purged in your life, um, is proven by your works. There's, let's see here. Um, First Peter 4. Kind of sounds familiar. So what, what I want you to do is, so don't dis- don't don't disregard this out of hand just because it doesn't sound because it because it sounds wrong. You have to understand it correctly, and maybe it maybe it is, oh maybe it is something that has to be handled carefully. But n- n- listen to what Peter says first here, four, verse eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So now, what does Peter mean there? He doesn't mean that you, when you love your neighbor. Sins that God was otherwise going to hold against you are now covered, right? Where are the sins that stand between you and God? Where are they? On the cross. They're gone, right? They're not, and this is important. This is, I think, why reading a story like Tobit and, under, and, and sort of diving into its context is really helpful because at no point are any of these people wondering how they stand with God, Right? In fact, all along, that's the temptation, is to say, is to, is to doubt how they stand with God. That's the temptation for Tobit, to say, well, maybe God's actually upset with me because I'm doing these righteous things and he's not rewarding me the way that he should, right? That's the temptation, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Um, and so in what sense does Peter mean that, uh, that showing love covers a multitude of sin? Well, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's various yeah, as, as um, little Christs in this world, as Luther calls us, um, when we love, it's not our love, but the love of Jesus, right? And the sin that it covers is not sin before, in, in, before God's eyes, right? But it's the sin that, that interferes with God's will in the world, right? The sin that inhibits um, our, our, our love for one another, right? So when you love, when you are, are tempted to be righteously indignant and you love instead, what have you done? You've covered that sin, right? Um, none of this, none of this ha- pertains to whether or not you are saved by grace through faith. This is all icing on the cake, right? This is all um, the good stuff that follows. I mean, this is why... Uh, Tobit is so emphatic when he, when he says to Tobias, do these good things. Um, even though it doesn't seem like they're good for you, do them because I promise you they're good for you. And this is really what the church is all about. This is what we, what we say all the time. It also reminds me of what Pastor Guzik says about touching holy things. Right. Like, you know, when you're busy loving your neighbor and giving all your stuff away, 
it, it keeps you from being greedy and, you know, Absolutely. loving yourself. And <laughs> right. I was just reading this morning um, some, something by uh, early church theologian Gregory of Nazianzus, and he, he was talking just in those very same terms. He said, um, in fact, it's so important for you to touch holy things um, and be earnest about it because unholiness is so much more infectious than holiness. Ask the priests, he says, uh, in Haggai. When they go into the temple, they've been cleansed. And when they come out, if they touch something, what happens? So if they touch something unclean, what happens? Does that unclean thing become clean or do they become unclean? Right? They become unclean. Right? Um, and so, so this, this emphasis on on um, the life of faith, right? The life that follows from, from uh, the, the hearing and obedience of faith um, is all good stuff. It's all, um, it's all taking God's will and saying, this is what's great for me. Um, and, and again, this is what the church is all about. We, have, um, we know that there are things that are good and things that are bad. We have, we have consciences that inform us that there's a right and a wrong, but we don't know what we have. Our consciences are ill-informed, right? They get taught all kinds of bad things all the time. And it's complicated even further because the things that the world tells us are good actually seem to be pretty good, right? And the things that God tells us are good don't seem to be good. And so um, this is the challenge. This is, this is why we why we are constantly struggling, why we're constantly endeavoring after the faith because um, we need to learn and we need to trust that what God says is good. Okay. I didn't mean for that to be so pontifical. Any questions? Okay. Um, so, so just to verse 9 there. Take it or leave it. Uh, uh, you know, um, there, are, there are parts of Scripture that we have to be really careful about when we, when we read them because they can be easily misunderstood. Um, and that's, that's a danger here with the story of Tobit, right? Because, especially because our ears, and people's ears are by nature attuned to legalism, to works righteousness. We would love it if that's how things worked, right? If giving alms meant that you took, you t- you're taking care of your sins, right? You give some alms, you get rid of your sins. That sounds great. Because then you're in charge, you're in control, right? So we have to be cautious. You have to hear these things, you have to hear it the, in a way that doesn't, that doesn't open that door because um, that's, that's sin as well, okay? All right. So Raphael's just told them these things. And then, verse 11, we've got to wrap this up. I will not conceal anything from you. I have said, it is good to guard the secret of a king, but gloriously to reveal the works of God. And so, when you and your daughter-in-law Sarah prayed, I brought a reminder of your prayer before the Holy One. And when you buried the dead, I was likewise present with you. When you did not hesitate to rise and leave your dinner in order to go and lay out the dead, your good deed was not hidden from me, but I was with you. So now God sent me to heal you and your daughter-in-law Sarah. I am Raphael, one of the seven holy angels who present the prayers of the saints and enter into the presence of the glory of the Holy One, the big reveal. And they were both alarmed, and now they act like there's an angel. And they fell upon their faces, and they were, for they were afraid. That's how you act when there's an angel around. But he said to them, Do not be afraid, you will be safe. But praise God forever. 
For I did not come as a favor on my part, but by the will of our God. Therefore praise him forever. All these days I merely appeared to you and did not eat or drink, but you were seeing a vision. And now give thanks to God, for I am ascending to him who sent me. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Write in a book everything that has happened. So then they stood up, but they saw him no more. So they confessed the great and wonderful works of God and acknowledged that the angel of the Lord had appeared to them. That's the last painting you got. This is Peter Lastman. We saw him last week with the, or two weeks ago with the, the fish. Um, there is no dog in this painting, unless you can find one. But there's all of Tobias's, the, the property that he brought with him from his in-laws. Under the ghost chin, there's a dog? Huh. Leaves. I think it's, I think it might be leaves. <laughs> the, the dog is somewhere in there. Maybe he's standing behind something. Okay. Interestingly, interestingly, this this uh, this um, these vessels, the I don't know what you call them, the pictures and stuff on the left, the candle holder, uh, presumably the, the stuff that he brought back from Gabael, those are, either that or the inheritance, right, from his in-laws, those are actual, those are, those are actual pieces of, what do you call that kind of, so yeah, so whatever it is. They were actual things that, and Lastman painted them, they were commissioned for, uh, he was, so he was a, a still life, Painter in a lot of ways. Okay, tell me if tell me if you if you for sure find the dog in there because I want to know where it is. I don't know. We need consensus. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we are running out of time here. Um, here, I'll tell you what happens. The, so chapter thirteen. This is a great. This is a great prayer that Tobit prays. Um, and it's all about, I mean, it's all, it's all about, uh, again, the refrain of God, God's chastisement and God's mercy. This, so the, the paradigm for, th- for understanding how um, God disciplines and shows mercy is Psalm 6. Um, David prays, O Lord, rebuke me. Not in your anger. Discipline me, not in your wrath. So God's discipline and rebuke and chastisement and affliction and suf- the suffering he, he doles out to us are in his mercy. Right? Um, and Tobit is acknowledging that, ag- acknowledging that here. Um, it's interesting in verse 3, just confessing before the Gentiles, your children of Israel. Oh, yeah. I mean, Right. Verse 11, many nations will come from afar. He sounds like Isaiah here. Many nations will come from afar to the name of the Lord God, bearing gifts in their hands, gifts for the King of Heaven. Right? Um, read that, read that uh, prayer sometime and, um, and think back. It's, just, it's, a, it's a great prayer. It's a lot like the Psalms in a lot of ways. Um, give, give, give thanks worthily, verse 10, to the Lord and praise the King of the ages that His tent 
that his tent may be built in you again with joy. Uh, this is, there's so much tied into that. Tent, the tent um, gets, brings us to the Feast of Tabernacles, um, which is looking forward to the, the second coming, or to the, to, the, to the coming of the Messiah, in which we will all dwell in holy tabernacles, and he will tabernacle with us. He will dwell in a tent with us. Um, and the, the great tragedy of being exiled was that you couldn't, you couldn't celebrate the festivals. You couldn't go and worship in the temple the way that you once did. And now that his tent may be, re- may be built in you again with joy. Um, okay, we got the kids that need to be picked up. So, um, the story ends like this. Um, okay, here, I'll just read the last chapter. Chapter 14. Here Tobit ended his words of praise. He was 58 years old when he lost his sight, and after eight years he regained it. He gave alms, and he continued to fear the Lord God and to praise him. When he had grown very old, he called his son and his six grandsons and said to him, My son, take your sons. Behold, I have grown old, and I am about to depart this life. Go to Media, my son, for I fully believe that what Jonah the prophet said about Nineveh, that it will be overthrown. I fully believe what Jonah the prophet said, that it will be overthrown. But in Media there will be peace for a time. Our brothers will be scattered over the earth from the good land, and Jerusalem will be desolate. The house of God in it will be burned down and will be in ruins for a time. But God will again have mercy on them and bring them back into their land, and they will rebuild the house of God, though it will not be like the former one until the times of the age are completed. After this, they will return from the places of their captivity and will rebuild Jerusalem in splendor. This is great. This sounds like revelation. And the house of God will be rebuilt there with glorious building for all generations forever, just as the prophet said of it. Then all the Gentiles will turn to fear the Lord God in truth and will bury their idols. All the Gentiles will praise the Lord and his people will give thanks to God. And the Lord will exalt his people. And all who love the Lord in truth and righteousness will rejoice. So it's this, he has this, um, this final vision of, of the temple being restored and God's people being returned. What does uh, that have to do with Nineveh? Okay, so remember how okay, so the story of Jonah goes? He's supposed yeah. to prophesy against Nineveh. Um, that's contemporaneous with when the, the, the Assyrian exile. But of course God spares Nineveh because Jonah goes and preaches and they repent. Later, about, the, about 100 years later, Nineveh is destroyed. Um, it's overthrown by Babylonians, maybe, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, it's, it, judgment is, is finally carried out against them in spite of the, you know, because, because although they repented then, they turn, they turn away later. Okay, and then Tobias and Anna die. He was 158 years old. And then Tobias died. He was 127 years old. And, but before he died, he heard of the destruction of Nineveh, which Nebuchadnezzar and Ahasuerus had captured. Before his death, he rejoiced over Nineveh. This is a really puzzling ending to the story. Um, but in, on, on the other hand, I think what's notable is how the story ends with Tobit and Anna and Tobias all dying, right? They all die. Which, if the story was a fairy tale, how would it end? Right, um, but that's not how that's not how biblical story that's not how stories of um, God's people end because we die um, holding on to holding on to this future hope. Okay, any questions?
You can read Bell and the Dragon for next week if you want. It's rather short, I think. Um, but that'll be fun. Uh, exciting stuff. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.